Hello to all you survivors out there in the wasteland. We're transmitting from our hermetically sealed bunker beneath the nation's capital, and thank you for joining us on whatever scavenged receiver you've got going today. I'm Brandon Crilly, Ottawa-based writer of science fiction and fantasy. And I'm Evan May, author of The King in Darkness and Bonhomme Satire. Our cozy little bunker is... Damn it! Our bunker is being attacked by spirits. No, out! Stay out! Spirits trying to get into our systems... But the computer is keeping us safe so far. What if the spirits just want to be friends? They can make friends with the proton pack I assembled downstairs. Okay. Well, assuming that doesn't go horribly wrong, we've got a lovely conversation today with two new guests, authors Tracy Townsend and John Wiswell. Stay tuned for their intros and gather around survivors for another broadcast from the Wasteland. I have done that in the past. Well, how long was that conversation that you and I had when we had specifically met up to do like the episode zero of this podcast? Oh, yeah. And we recorded none of it. Yeah, <laughs> it was about two hours. I think we were hanging out and, and, I, <laughs> yeah. I had, and I had nothing. I hadn't recorded a thing. <clears throat> and then anybody, we had to try to like be casual. Sorry, Tracy. Anybody with a, with a background in athletics knows that like warming up has value. And so, I mean, really, <laughs> yes. you, were, you were showing your early commitment to craft there and you got to respect that. Perfect. Um, Perfect. I appreciate in, that. In the zone. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. <laughs> nice. I'm glad somebody's got my back. <laughs> well, as, as you know, Brandon, I am I am by trade an English teacher, and it is more or less my job to like make up crap about other people's crap and act very authoritative right. about it. Uh, yeah. And that's why you're a moderator. Yeah, that one as well. <laughs> like, that's an excellent point over there. John also showing his moderating skills. <laughs> yes, I'm going to validate your point there and laugh accommodatingly. <laughs> Oh, man. And what does the rest of the panel think about that very interesting point? And then, you get and then there's that moment of silence, right? Where we're all like, well, it's, oh, oh, it's just like we're supposed to be interesting. Oh. Um, Crap. Like, uh, what do I say? What do, what do I do? I yeah. was not paying attention. I was drawing on my program. <laughs> you know, but drawing on your program can look an awful lot like note taking. Which, you know, this many is of us right. have gone through the school system. You know, that's a life hack right there. I still bring paper notes because I feel mortified if I'm ever seen looking at my phone while I'm on a panel. Because mm -hmm. I, I have, these are notes on my on my phone, I swear. But it just looks like I'm texting somebody instead of entertaining the audience. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, absolutely. Yeah. I, I had that, that bout of paranoia. Gosh, I want to say it was like... A, I guess it must have been a year ago because we're living in the COVID lands where almost mm -hmm. all of the reference points we have are becoming quickly a year ago. Um, yeah. But I was, I was moderating a panel about a year ago and I had the list of questions and I was all very schmancy and stuff. And I kept going back to the notes app to look at, and, and I had exactly that feeling that you've described, John. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> it looks like I completely checked out and I'm subtweeting this live. <laughs> All right, but if you were actually just texting your friend boredly while moderating the panel and rattling the topics off the top of your head, that would actually be very impressive. 
Kind of. It yeah. Would. It would be and it would it would be like like douchebag artistry right there. Uh, <laughs> like douchebag genius move. Yeah. I could kind of see that like I could see you doing that maybe like 20 years from now, Tracy, when like when once you've made it big and you don't need to worry about the little people anymore. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I could see you doing that. Look at the faith you have in me crushing the little people under my heels. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, someday I will be a kaiju just to just to make you own those Please. words and, and come back and and John could be a Please, kaiju be... with me because if anyone deserves to be, it's someone who has shown shown the kaiju beasties such love. So I would like nothing more in my career than to be a panel kaiju. <laughs> Amazing. We need a t-shirt that says panel kaiju. That was more of a comment than a question. Radioactive breath. <laughs> <laughs> See what I want to know is the panel kaiju. Though this 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 provokes an important discussion, though, um, is the panel kaiju like you described, John, where like the the it is the moderator who has absolute control <laughs> of the rogue elements in the audience, or is it the rogue element in the audience that like comes stomping into the Tokyo mm. that is the panel to be like mm. I have a comment, <laughs> sort of like spraying it all down with acid. Um. <laughs> yeah. That's the antagonist. That's the 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 other side of the versus sign in Godzilla versus Blank. Oh, okay. It's Godzilla go. versus that panel. Yeah, we need like some okay. Godzilla Rodan stuff going on there. We're like we're like right. Mecha Moderator goes up against the Kaiju. <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> oh Lord. All right. Um, hello, listeners, those of you in the wasteland. I'm Tracy Townsend, and I'm a Chicago area author of science fiction and fantasy. And I once went Twitter viral because of a picture of a bunt cake I baked. <laughs> nice. <laughs> really? Was it a good bunt cake? I, it was an amazingly good bunt cake. And uh, what happened was I got I got snagged into a Twitter moment because I made the bunt cake um, to celebrate. <laughs> geek that i am that the uh the last avengers movie was coming out the avengers endgame movie and so i made nice. an ube bunt cake so it was like round and ring shaped <laughs> and i put m&ms on it in the color of the infinity stones and so i had a <laughs> wow. bunt cake with infinity stone topping wow. on it and i took a picture wow. of it and put it on and i it got grabbed into a twitter moment and it got like yes. oh my god so much ridiculous and i eventually <laughs> had to mute it because all the people showed up to be like is ant-man in the center wink wink and i'm like oh no, no. oh you people i don't even want to eat the cake now you fuckers <laughs> you ruined the cake I for you I hate when I find Paul Rudd in my cakes. <laughs> it ruins my so day. Awkward. And they're all like, you've heard about the Ant-Man solution. But I'm like, just oh, oh yeah. yeah, they all God. so many people wanted badly to be noticed. Um, which, wow. you know, the, the existential cry of Twitter is uh, every bit as frightening as you can imagine. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Twitter is this empire you don't want to have notice you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, oh. then. Uh, my introduction, I guess. Uh, I yeah. am John Wiswell. I'm a writer and critic who lives where New York keeps its trees. Uh, I uh, have been published in Uncanny Magazine and Nature Futures, Cast of Wonders, Podcastle. Uh, last week, as of this recording, I was nominated for two Stabby Awards. 
uh, on Reddit, including for best short story for Open House on Haunted Hill. Um, thank you thank you um i'm very proud of that house uh and then the thing that the audience might not know about me is that i learned i cut my chops uh getting uh into public speaking by calling into wrestling podcasts uh i was yeah oh i love professional wrestling in a very indecent way uh okada came out with a raptor once and that's it for me um and uh there and uh i i was i was a shut-in for years and it's it's not an entirely happy story but the happy part of the story is that i found that i could talk to people about wrestling by calling in and i was so miserably awkward and you would not recognize me from that at all and a few weeks ago i looked up that podcast which i won't name uh just to just to have a listen to just hear what i sounded like a decade ago uh, and mercifully, all of their archives have been deleted. <laughs> I'm so happy. And that's why I'm talking about it publicly. You need to do this for John. This is for him. Hit the button. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All those electrons in... to save you. Yeah. Dump my digital adolescence before it's too late. Oh, man. Wow. I am, I am sorry for jumping into your intro there. I know Brandon can, can fix it. <laughs> but no, you know, I was I've already. Genuine, that, I, I was no. not expecting that. <laughs> You're not expecting wrestling podcasts or wrestling fandom or Okada and a Raptor. Yeah, none of it. None of it. <laughs> I mean, it's great, but I, it, yeah. So I've already I decided. Feel, I feel like that... we can't. Oh, no, go ahead, Brandon. Sorry. No, no, no. Let me. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like we can't leave this moment um, unexplored, you know, and if we can't go back to the, the digital archive of, of John's <laughs> impressionable uh, wrestling oh. youth, I feel like it is incumbent upon us to reconstruct it in some way. So, John, okay. I want you to drop on me with your most authentic, knowledgeable squee the hot okay. take of the day in wrestling that that I don't even I don't even care if I don't speak the level of wrestling that you do I just I just want to be on the receiving end of it can you help me experience this let let's do it okay like, yeah I gotta I gotta <laughs> generate a hot take because this is actually a wonderful time in pro wrestling and why are we talking about that on the science fiction podcast me that's why and it's <laughs> but Wrestle Kingdom just happened and Kyle O'Reilly and Finn Balor just wrestled and there was uh, Kenny Omega and uh, Fe- and Ray Phoenix, the amazing Mexican wrestler, just had a fantastic television uh, wrestling moment. And it is so it is a wonderful time to be watching wrestling, whether it is that you really like to see big, beefy Hawaiian men slap big Japanese Hawaiian men. I do. Or, yeah. Oh, if you do. Well, then Shingo Takagi and Jeff Cobb, a legit Olympian who prefers to do somersaults on top of grown men. That's they've got you covered. Uh, I want nothing more out of this life. You've just, you've completed me. I, uh, <laughs> just... Oh, I'm so happy to be able to bring you into the loop, Tracy. Welcome. Fantastic. <laughs> Brandon might have been in danger of bringing us to, to an intellectual space somewhat different from this. So I'm going to cede the floor to Brandon, who a moment ago had it. Had it uh, oh, man. Yeah. So Brandon, I'm, who I'm, has I'm, the best power bomb? Who has the best what, John? <laughs> power bomb. Um, that's an excellent question. Um, um, I don't see. I hear Evan sighing in the background. What do you? Don't, no, no, don't, no, no. 
Don't, don't be doing that. You got this. You got this. You <laughs> I, don't need help. You I, got I, this. I really don't because I, I have known nothing about um, professional wrestling since <laughs> Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Um, and the fact that that's the only name that I can reference makes me a little sick to my stomach. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no, but that gives you something. So you would, you would remember some. Wasteland, we have brought you both wrestling and nausea. You know, so we. Yeah. It, there's. Is there nothing we can't deliver? <laughs> I mean, we, can, we can do whatever we want. I will tell you this. The only reason why I remember Hollywood Hulk Hogan, I kid you not, um, is because I got fascinated by him when I was like four, I think. Um, because I oh, thought he looked Jesus. identical to my dad. Only because of the fact... <laughs> I know nothing Are you saying about your dad was in the NWO? I feel like I know everything about him. Like this is... <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, it, the, the, the resemblance only went to, you know... I, don't even, I was going to say goatee, but he, Hulk Hogan didn't have a goatee. He had like a handlebar mustache or something, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, hardcore handlebar. Yeah, yeah. Hardcore, yeah. So, so that's goes quite all a goatee. the way down to the chin. Very like Wyatt Earp looking yeah, thing. No, no, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So no, so my like my dad. Um, I don't know if I ever described my dad on this podcast, but um, he be, like imagine like a st- like the most stereotypical um, biker that you can. Um, like we're talking bald. Trim goatee, sunglasses, earrings in both ears, leather jacket, cowboy boots. That's my dad. And like, okay, a, like so a, central a, casting a, sons of anarchy. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and so for some reason, I thought that that and Hollywood Hulk Hogan were the same thing when I was very small. And so I got fascinated okay. by Hollywood. Go figure. I can see Hollywood Hulk Hogan on a motorcycle. Oh, oh I'm sure yeah. that's a thing. Yeah. 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 That surely happened at some point. It Probably. must have happened at some point. Yeah. Now we're going to go. This might be the first thing we get emails about. Yeah. (laughs) Better. Oh yeah. Our listeners should look it up. That's what should happen. Yeah. And we need fact checking. And you know, pro wrestling makes me think a lot about science fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Segway moderator John. Clearly, clearly neither of you have ever listened to this podcast because, like, this is all the podcast (laughs) is. (laughs) <laughs> like a mecha, a mecha moderator level move there i must say yeah, so, yeah. that's what the uh what i do <laughs> oh man i i will say okay here i, I will segue to science fiction i was thinking with the fact earlier today that it was about this time last year that the three of us like minus evan um we were all at confusion yes yes it so, was basically <laughs> sitting around like that was it, i think it was almost exactly a year ago right Yep. Very, yeah. Which like, wasn't the last time I saw happens, you in person. Um, I mean, it was just I had this surreal moment. It always happens right around what is for the United States Martin Luther King Day, like right right around mm-hmm. there. Um, so yeah, we're about a week off. Right. Fifty one weeks. Yeah. 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 I remember we sat down. To, I forget the topic, but we all sat down to the same panel and we're all like giggling friends in thirty seconds. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is because of Tracy's excellent moderator. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, and my excellent taste in humans as well, not to be disregarded. <laughs> too. Yeah, it was it was something to do with something to do with villains or antagonists or something. I should know this because Tracy and I Billy built that panel. <laughs> oh, was that remember. like the villains and monsters? And then like half of us were like, we're going to be the monster team, and you be the villain oh, team. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, team monster, team villain, and we, we all just kind of again, like what. Everything gets a little bit better when you when you decide to like put on a jersey and treat it like it's a thing. Um, That's right. <laughs> so, That's right. Oh, and in that time since obviously um, 
you know, perhaps you have noticed, fair listeners, that a lot has happened. Um, but also at the same time, not a lot has happened, uh, which is sort of the weird, like, Schrodinger <laughs> space of the COVID-verse that we're in, uh, depending on, on how you open the box and when either the entire world has transmogrified in the course of a year or you are still somehow preserved in amber where you were in March. Um, mm. And it's uh, it's a very strange thing. And, I mean, it and I don't know about you, John, but it's put me in a weird place when it comes to thinking about the speculative element of fiction. Like, what, mm. is, it, what is it doing for me? Uh, is it is it doing things to my brain, to my emotions, to me processing the weird moment that I'm in that's helpful or not helpful? Um, and I'm thinking about that a lot because uh, in a week I start a new semester with my students. And this semester I'm teaching creative writing and speculative fiction studies. And I, I will not lie, I've definitely looked at what I could be teaching to my students and putting on the syllabus really mm. differently because of the pandemic. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was very slow to let the pandemic affect my writing because mm -hmm. like to cop with the audience, like uh, I am I am disabled and I'm chronically ill. And a lot of my life has been spent very similar to how the last year of yours has been. Uh, so the transition was not quite as dramatic for me. Um, the big transition for me in my life was that I had to do a lot more emotional labor for people who mm -hmm. were transitioning into what is very has been very traumatic for a lot of people. Um, and as such, there was a part of me that just like, look, this is my routine and I am just going to have a good mood and do the stuff I want to do. And that only lasts for so long, uh, right. because your environment affects what you can work on. Um, and there were some pieces that I'd want to write for, for I'd wanted to write for forever. And then I was like, well, that's got a, that is not publishable now. Um, yeah. That is, that is, or, or it will be published and taken away that I don't want it to. It will be harmful in this environment. Um, I've, I've written a bunch about being chronically ill in the past and um, I had to filter it in different ways. Um, there is one piece that I, I finally managed to get through and it actually came out in uncanny, um, in the January, February issue about uh, the subgenre of weird plagues. Yes. Uh, yes. I've, that, by the I way, is a super great essay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, cause I've been thinking about it for years because it just like it's always been fascinating to me uh, because it's it's the genre. It's the genre that's about like stories about actual plagues has never really resonated much with me as a chronically ill person. Uh, not because it doesn't represent things that are real about me, but it never takes me to the space of feeling. Yeah. And the space mm -hmm. of feeling strange comes from something more like Magic Mountain or The Fireman uh, or Pontypool, which are about these these uh, imaginative plagues where the characters know as little about what's happening to them as I do as a patient. Uh, mm. I, just, I find those things fascinating. But I had to be there. I had to really change the way that I wanted to talk about it uh, because of what everybody was going through right now. Because uh, suddenly everybody was in I the extreme medical odyssey that I have been in since I was like 13. Um, and so it's definitely affected that. And it's affected, like, I intend to write some weird plagues. But what I make them do, I'm going to be much more careful about. The outcome. Uh, I couldn't possibly bring myself to write one that is about defeatism or nihilism right now. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I've never been really that big on like everybody gets sick and then it's sad and they and they die. Like I've never actually been that 
psyched to write that. Um, but now I really want to measure, especially because it's more important than ever that chronically ill characters in fiction and, and especially in science fiction are not just test subjects, but they're protagonists. Mm -hmm. Um, and that we, we share more of those experiences, both in the speculative and in the real. So, I mean, that's certainly an effect that I've had walking through the last uh, nine or 10 months. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about you folks though? I, I, I yield the floor to Tracy first because you're the guest. <laughs> well, I mentioned before, you know, having to think about what I'm going to ask my students to read differently. And I, I actually wrote an essay about this that showed up on Luna Station Quarterly because I, I um, write for them every month um, or nearly every month. And uh, it was specifically about it was sort of primed by a conversation I'd had with a colleague of mine who wanted to know if I was going to teach E.M. Forster's The Machine Stops, which I haven't done every single year. I've taught my science fiction fantasy course, but I often have. Um, and I had, I hadn't really been thinking about it before. And I had to sort of sit with the idea of how does Forster's the machine stops hit really differently if I'm giving them to pause button. Um, so for those of you who don't know me, uh, my day job is the best job in the world. Nya nya boo boo. Um, I teach science fiction and fantasy <laughs> literature and creative writing at a public boarding school for gifted students. So imagine something like um, Xavier's Academy or like Hogwarts, but for hackers and you're kind of there. Um, public schools in the United States are, you know, common as dirt, uh, but boarding schools are very uncommon. Public boarding schools is sort of like the Venn diagram piece you never expect to see. Um, but that's where I am. And so I have these students who come from all walks of life. And the thing that unites them is that they're all brilliant and, and super cool. And some of them come from poverty and some of them uh, come from wealth. And some of them are first generation immigrants. And some of them have folks who came here from maybe the Mayflower or whatever. And, um, so there's this highly diverse environment of students that I'm teaching, but they all have in common now that in addition to like so many people have had to do, um, they're doing their schooling in a remote online context, they're making that switch from having literally lived at school before. Not just like mm -hmm. hop on the bus, go there for, for six or, or eight hours, you know, if you've got a lot of programming after school or something, but like they live there. They only go home every couple of months or so. Um, mm. and so for them, the idea of giving them a story where it's like, Hey, look, people are living inside of a technological bubble and they can't actually make connections with each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do we think about that? Like, isn't that the worst? <laughs> Would <laughs> right. It seemed to be a little bit like they should be staring at me from the other side of zoom. Like, Oh, fuck you. Um, because <laughs> they're desperately, um, like they, they are living and of course the thesis of the machine stops spoiler alert but you know on the other hand the story's been out for like uh, almost 100 years so get with it you've had you kind of had your chance um <laughs> at the end of the story that the impression that we are given is that the the sort of luddite stand that uh em forster sees his main character kuno trying to take and ultimately being thwarted in um, as he and his, his mother Vashti end up perishing as the machine collapses, is that um, the risk of living outside the machine and the protections it provides was worth it and was the thing they always should have done. How can mm. I in good conscience give my students that story to read when I am literally part of the machine that says, no, stay inside, wear a mask, socially distance, we can't be in the same classrooms, let alone sharing bedrooms with one another in a dormitory right now. 
Like, I can't give them that story in good conscience and then ask them to engage with it and arrive at a conclusion that runs counter to what I'm being asked to help foment for their own good and for the public good. Um, Mm -hmm. Similarly, like last year in in middle of February, um, just a couple weeks before we ended up at least where I was in the United States going into sort of a lockdown situation from which we, we really haven't emerged. Um, we, I gave my students uh, uh, James Tiptree Jr.'s The Last Flight of Dr. Ain, um, which is literally a, a, it's a, it's a bioplague story. It's manufactured in a lab. And there's essentially a bio, there's an eco-terrorist, Dr. Ain, who releases a plague that is specifically intended to destroy uh, higher order primates, i.e. humans. Mm-hmm. And it has a more than 90% recovery rate for all other mammals. And so it's it's something he's designed to destroy humanity because in this short story, we see that the world is sort of suffering from so much environmental degradation and, and ecological destruction that he, having in many senses fallen in love with, with the earth itself, would rather see humanity sort of scurred from the, the surface of the earth in the names of um, in the name of, of the earth being able to recover. And so the solution is um, to release this plague. So at that point, late late February or so, um, news had started to break more commonly, at least in American media, about COVID being a thing and possibly an emerging thing we should be concerned about. And I often teach uh, Last Flight of Dr. Ain, and I'm like, cool, I'm going to give this story to my students. And it was the second to last thing they read before we dismissed uh, for the start of their spring break and ended up never coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... I look at that choice that I made to give them that story when they were in their biotech classes and in their um, epidemiology classes and things like that already talking about COVID. I look back on having given that story with real guilt because the story Mm. ends with uh, Ain has been captured, but it's already too late. He's released the virus. It has um, only a three-day incubation period, and it has a more than 90% mortality rate within three weeks. Like humanity's done for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I look back on the choice to do that, which at the time seemed like so in tune with the universe of me as like, fuck Townsend, that was just mean. That was mean. <laughs> yeah, way to go. And and so that these are sorts of the things I'm asking myself now. Like in the same way that John is sort of weighing what are the tones that I can hit and the messages that I can hit and sort of sit with myself as a as a writer, get the work done I want to do as a writer, and also offer something to the world that I that I hope will be taken in good faith. Mm. My teacher brain, when outside of my writing world, is having to process like I, I'm sort of the filter through which my students are getting their stuff, right? And like, mm-hmm. how do how do I engage in, in almost kind of an ethical way of helping them read their way through crisis? Yeah. And I killed the podcast. No, no, I'm just because I'm because you hit a bunch of really interesting notes during during that, including yeah. that you basically assigned your students to live a science fiction story. Yeah, whoops. Um, yeah, kind of my bad. I mean, that's uh, a yeah. cool. That's what we call. Um, there's a there's a term for that. That that is an end. That's a rich task. That's what we say in, in education right here in Ontario. That mm. is a rich task that you have assigned, Tracy. Um, that for experiential learning and and insert other buzzwords here. 
Yeah. So um, and, also, and by the way, sorry that, that the, the rubric got a little out of control there. Rest of the planet um, really didn't mean for that to happen. Uh, I promise that when I revise this for future courses, we'll keep it like a little bit more contained. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and related to what you were talking about, about how you want your students to be viewing how they're engaging with the world or how they are, what tools they have. It, I've also noticed my reading habits have changed. Mm -hmm. I have less patience for certain kinds of um, criticism, um, mm. particularly redundant criticism. Um, if a short story or a novel is uh, about how the internet makes us uh, further apart, mm -hmm. um, I'm like, great. I've read this 200 times. Yep. And right now, especially right now, most of my contacts, most of the ways I'm coming together with people is through the internet. Yeah. And so yeah. I am much more attracted to something like Naomi Kritzer's Catfishing on CatNet, which is just mm -hmm. like a wonderful, warm-hearted novel to begin with. Oh, but yeah. it, is, it is also about how we use the, inter use the tools of the internet for community building and sometimes accidentally create a best friend out of an AI. But that's... You know, that's it. That's it. So that's maybe that's a 2021 thing. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I will say my, when my students um, really connect with work, it's often because that work acknowledges some extrapolation of what they're already living through. Like one of their favorite mm -hmm. reads, one of the things they always get super, super excited about uh, is Vinajayman Prasad's um, Fandom for Robots. Love and I story. often have them read oh, Fandom for Robots game. in tandem yeah. with the story that gave rise to catfishing on CatNet, um, which is uh, Cat Pictures, Please, also by Naomi mm -hmm. Kritzer. And yeah, yeah. both of them, the, the word they love to use is wholesome to describe the stories, but, uh, but they mean a lot more than just wholesome. They mean that the stories are sort of like reifying their sense that the relationships that we can build, the connections we can make, and sort of the stewardship that we can have of each other as people is very real, even when we're not in the same physical shared space. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that those mm -hmm. stories, because I do plan on using them again this year, are, are going to dig deeper and differently, and, and I hope in a good way. Um, <laughs> I hope to sort of like validate what, what mm -hmm. they're experiencing now. Yeah, absolutely. I find for me, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna stick on the the teaching side of it for the moment, because um, like right now, like I, I have my creative writing course next semester, so I won't be teaching for another couple of weeks. Um, although by the time this airs, I'll probably be in the middle of it. But um, what I'm teaching in, in at the end of this quadmester that we're in is an as a grade twelve equity and social justice course, um, which in, which in a normal time would be. A, yeah. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, especially for the cisgender white dude, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> because, which like I and I you said to them on, the day, on day one. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> like I said to them on day one, like I, you know, I, there there's a problem already with me being the one teaching this course, but you know, the person who normally teaches it in virtual, so what can I do? Um, but like all the topics that that we've been talking about in that course are all heavy topics. Um, and, and like typically the way, the way that I often teach, whether it's creative writing or history or whatever, is I, I bring as much levity as I can into the classroom. Um, even when we're talking about serious stuff, like, cause I don't want to like, like we treat subjects with seriousness and, and, and we treat them with the respect they deserve, but I don't want them to leave somber. Um, and so like all the topics that, that we're talking about this equity course, whether it's, you know, uh, policing and racism and, and, and poverty and, and et cetera. It's like, like every single day, I'm like, okay, just bear with me here, folks. 
I've like, and, and I'm trying, and, and I try to give them this, um, I try to give them the optimistic and hopeful side of it. Um, and it's fucking hard this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and kind of the, and the, like the, the corollary to that, like with my writing is like, typically I, I try to write, you know, I think you could argue most of my stuff is, is very whole punk here. I go into it trying to be very whole punk. Um, and all, and for some reason, all the story ideas that I've had this year and, and even the, the new novel idea that I'm working on is totally the opposite side of that. Cause it's just, it's what in my head, what's in my head right now. It's been this weird sort of like, okay, I, I like this idea and I, I want to explore this idea. How can I make that whole punky? And I've been hitting a wall every single time, which is bizarre to me. Um, but again, not surprising given what's going on around us, but that's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you, everybody's going to get emotionally exhausted at some point, but especially mm. under these circumstances. Yeah. That's it. Uh, and this, um, this is maybe a little weird, um, but when, because I also try to use a certain amount of levity and humor and irreverence um, in my teaching to, to grab onto students. And it's mm-hmm. not just a, a bread and circuses sort of thing. It's actually part of the reason why I do that um, is, is actually related to brain chemistry and is, is related mm-hmm. to brain development. So fun fact, um, and this may be something, John, you tend to be uh, pretty well medically versed and, and things, so this may not be news to you. Um, and, and I don't know about you, Evan, but hi. Um, so uh, just give me a wave, we're sort of digitally waving at, at Evan here for a sec. Um, one of the reasons why um, humor works the way it does is because uh, the, the pathways in your brain that process humor and that process fear are more than 90% correlated to one another. Um, Such that if you uh, have someone in a situation where they're being, I believe the correct term is CT scanned, but I I may be wrong there. If you're doing a scan on someone and you're showing them images of some kind that are meant to evoke, like it's like a stand-up set that's legitimately funny, and they react with humor, and you sort of like take a picture frozen in time of the moment of the various areas of their brain that have lit up, and then you show them something uh, that is meant to be scary and horrifying, and you do the same thing. You do a sort of capture of the brain activation shot that you've got at that moment. If you were to show those images to someone who is not deeply trained in how to read a brain scan and what it means, they would not be able to distinguish the differences between them. And even people who have been trained frequently misjudge which one is a fear register and which one is a, 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 a humor register. And that's because both fear and humor have an important thing in common. They're both about the concept of transgression. And uh, the reason why we Mm. think things are scary is because they transgress our boundaries of what ought to be, of what is safe, of what is is normal, of what is, um, you know, it's the reason why body horror works the way it does. It's the reason why jump scares work the way they do. Uh, it's, It's our sense that something has gone wrong and the wrongness of that thing, whether it's momentary or sort of a slow creeping crawl, activates the the portions of our brain that sort of turn on the fight or flight response humor interestingly enough works the same way because humor tends to be about breaking the moment um so that if i'm standing in front of my students and i say something that they don't expect to come out of the mouth of of someone who's supposed to be the adult in the room the reason why Mm -hmm. they laugh is because they're like holy shit i can't believe she just said that in addition to the fact that the thing itself may have been funny of its own merit and so it's the act of most humor emerges out of some form of transgression, however slight. 
and the laughter response, because sometimes people laugh hysterically when they're afraid. Mm -hmm. The reason that you get that wire crossing is because it's how the brain is reacting to the transgression. Humor, the difference really between humor and fear is the brain registers with fear. I have good reason to be worried about this transgression. With mm -hmm. humor, it says, oh, that transgression was unexpected, but harmless. And so I think the value we have in this, mm. in this sort of moment of uncertainty, whether we're writers or teachers or, or artists of some other kind, is recognizing that whether we're working with horror or humor or um, some element of speculation that's meant to sort of like transgress and to break our, um, our set of expectations, the power in that is in the moment of transgression, you've broken down people's barriers and made them vulnerable hopefully in a way that you can use positively to experience something differently. I like that. Me too. And now this is the part where I'm going to press the mute button on myself. For, for <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can. That's a lot button. of words. <clears throat> no, I'm digging that. I'm just I, like, I'm, I'm sitting on that because I find that like, like to this day, even, even with everything going on, my typical response, like my typical stress response, especially, especially in teaching, um, is, is before I get, you know, like, um, angry or pissed off at something, I will laugh at the ridiculousness of it. Mm -hmm. like, like, that's my immediate, because it's like, okay, you know, here's this, like, this is nonsense that I have to deal with this. I'm just going to laugh at it. And, and, and that's my way of kind of bringing it down a little bit um, to keep myself from getting stressed. So I, I feel a little vindicated here. I'm not going to lie. There you go. <laughs> You may be a weirdo, Brandon, but not quite for that reason. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> okay. well, hang on. Don't strip me of my weirdo cred. <laughs> Worked hard to I get love that. that. Yeah. No, that's one of my favorite things about teaching is when I can, like, drop a comment in um, that uh, that my students don't expect. And they kind of, they, they, they get taken aback for a moment. It's like, wait, like, did he really just, yeah, I did. And then I'll, I'll typically double down. Um, and it's because I had a, had a professor in university, first year university. Yeah. For a first year university English course who, um, I, for like me, I can't remember the, the, the poem or the short story we were looking at because it was first year English lit and I lost interest pretty quick, but, um, it was, it was some, like there was some sort of, <laughs> Evan knows. Um, so it, it, there was some sort of sexual escapade going on in this thing. And, um, and we're talking about it very academically. Um, and I remember my professor saying, okay, like, you know, every character gets something out of this, this narrative, even if it, if it doesn't seem that way. And we're like, yeah, I guess like, what's he talking about? And he comes to one of the characters and he's like, he's like, yeah, well, she got something out of it. Well, she got fucked. And we're like, whoa, crap. <laughs> and, and, ju and just this moment of like, did, did our university professor really just say that? And he's like, and he just kind of moves on. And that was his whole, uh, demeanor in, in front of the class, um, which a made the material more bearable. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, the, it was that, that shock, that shock effect, which I've totally adapted for every day of my teaching life. When I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually turn things back towards John here for a sec, because I, I'm going to, I'm going to plug John here. Not that he needs oh. my help. Um, but if you have not gone out into the universe and read John Wiswell, TM brand fiction, um, you really, you really need to do that because one of the things talking about this idea of transgression, right? One of the mm. things I love about your work, John, is that you're so good at 
taking whatever the base expectation of the reader may be and in some way transgressing. Um, mm. And that transgression is oftentimes a, a very complex combination of emotions that you're working with. Um, like, for instance, your recently Stabby Award nominated uh, short story. Um, the reason why that works so well and clearly resonated with, with lots of people uh, who read it, no pun intended on Reddit. Um, wow. It's because we have a haunted house that's on the market and there's an open house going on and the haunted house in its sentience has a set of goals that make it the central character it is the perspective character and its goals are um curiously benign um it kind of doesn't <laughs> want to be alone it just sort of feels like it has this job to do that it doesn't get to do because it's not occupied. I can't haunt anyone if nobody's here. Um, <laughs> and and because we tend to think of the, the haunted house as this sort of purely unknowable, almost Lovecraftian malevolence, um, and sort of breaking that down and giving us the haunted house as a empathy-provoking perspective character is the wonderful transgression that becomes the doorway through which you get your readers. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to give you a peek behind the curtain, I that, that story and a lot of my fiction is the result of just, I'm incapable of processing horror the way I'm supposed to. Mm -hmm. uh, I love the genre. It might be my favorite genre to read. It might be my favorite genre to watch. Uh, but I don't write much of it. Um, mm. And in fact, that story itself came from, I was trying to explain my problem to a bunch of writers at a world fantasy. And it was just like, hey, like, look, the reason I can't write horror is that like, look, I love haunted houses, okay? But if I try to write a haunted house, it's just going to be a lonely haunted house that just really wants somebody to come love, live in it. And all the writers were like, please write that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't understand. I can't write a horror story. Uh, <laughs> and so like my oeuvre is full of like a tank that's lonely and goes to a science fiction convention to make friends. And a, and a tentacle monster really who is enjoyed. nervous to meet his girlfriend's parents for the first time. And it's just, I, I keep taking nightmare things and making them often cute, often heartwarming, but at least protagonisty. Uh, because in part because I see myself in a lot of horror, and I always have, uh, but in part because I just don't process it the way other people do. I don't, I don't consume horror um, to be made afraid. Uh, I consume it to feel companionship. Um, mm. I, I have lived through a lot of peril. Um, I don't I don't get the tension arcs that a lot of other people do out of fiction. Um, and since I was a kid, horror has been the genre that hasn't lied to me about how unfair a lot of life is. Um, and as such, uh, I go in and I just fill up on slasher movies and horrible vampires and I just come away very, very happy. Uh, the characters, not so much. Uh, but then I create characters, and my characters are very happy. You're like, and people are crying because the haunted house maybe found a family that will move in. Uh, that's just, but that's just the way that I process things. I just, for some reason, eat gore and barf rainbows. Uh, that's how it's done. Um, and I know that I'm abnormal, but I'm not willing to change. Uh, a t-shirt john eat <laughs> 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 uh 
it's, between this uh, and, and, and yesterday or you know whenever we record this between this and yesterday's panel that, that tracy was moderating there are so many t-shirt quotes that i now am now responsible for apparently like, oh yeah there's there was like 19 just from kari moran yeah <laughs> so many oh, i'm getting a cookie delivery thank you love oh fantastic the oven temp and baking time so they're a little bit soft I, everything you bake is brilliant i'm not worried <laughs> okay well, so we're, we're in an audio only format so i need a careful play-by-play narration of the cookie i need to yeah give me the flavor profile give me the mouthfeel yeah. okay so, yeah. so the cookie itself is um it is open oh interesting it's oatmeal white chocolate chips and i believe cranberry um that's oh, what i can see cool. so far um, oh it is incredibly soft so I, i'm i'm picking it up off the plate and it is it is gooey um falling apart uh, and so i am coming Ooh. away with um about like a two inch by two inch piece of cookie while the rest remains on the plate. <laughs> if we keep talking like sampling. this, I'm going to have a transgression pretty soon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Race oh, yourself, Lord. Tracy. <laughs> I I'm, I'm, I'm now eating the sample. This, I mean, this is a bit of a, a bridge off of that, but um, somehow or other in the course of the, one of the, one of the actually sort of weird joys of pandemic isolation with my family has been um, as my kids sort of overindulge in the types of media that they love and then get to the point that they're just sort of like binge rewatching things that they love or binge replaying mm -hmm. games that they love there have been these wonderful great opportunities for me to sort of crack open the door and slide in something to be like hey mom thinks it would be cool to watch this with you or to do this with you <laughs> one of the Did things they run that screaming the other way like kids normally would well no because they're so kind of junked out on what they love uh, um and they they recognize in the same way that like i love ice cream but I very purposefully made sure when I was applying for crap jobs as a teenager that I never tried to work at an ice cream parlor or anything. But mm -hmm. you don't want to you don't want to ruin it. Um, you don't want to ruin the thing you love by by spending too much time with it. Um, so anyway, I, I one of the things that I sort of slipped into their their world that they binged for a while was the original Iron Chef run from the nineties. Find <laughs> <laughs> on YouTube and. They they just sort of like loved the over the top theatricality of it and the sort Amazing. of like, you know, the biting of the red pepper and the staring at the screen and like the breaking of the fourth wall moments and like Fukuizan, yes, and be like, what's going on over here? Well, Iron Chef Morimoto seems to be doing the thing and 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 then when the the panel of tasters who no doubt are famous enough to be well recognized in japan in the 90s but but don't particularly mean anything to me <laughs> really are, no they, they have these now. moments with the cookie like like you just had where they're like when no, i taste this i remember spring in kyoto and like it's like it's this very and they're like yes there's a freshness here that reminds me of youth and like <laughs> and of, yeah this is um so yeah, that's that's uh, that's my other tangent. You're welcome. Uh, no, but no, I appreciate that. I think th this <laughs> they're cookie beautiful. They're so good. I, th this cookie reminds me of. I'm trying to think of something flowery and poetic. Don't say spring in Kyoto. That's no, the no, yeah, that's taken. No. Yeah, can't do that. Um, you know what? You know what it kind of reminds me of? It reminds me of um, like a, like a roar, like having a roaring actual like wood fire, um, in a, in a cabin, and you're you're like you know cuddled under a blanket. That's what this reminds me. Oh, that's good. Yeah, mm. that's good. It is very warm and delicious. This cookie. I'm a little sad I can't share it with you, and but not at the same time. 
but yeah, also not. Because... Also, also, also very much not. We were talking about um, uh, critical stuff before I got a cookie delivery, and I forget what it was because I'm full of cookies. Uh, well, one of the things that John had I don't know, weird people who think horror and humor are akin to each other and making oh, yeah. cute things out of horror. Just yeah. weird people stuff. Yeah. Well, also, you, you were talking about being sort of like over certain takes. Um, mm. like, like oh, sure. With, done with the whole, um, the, the equivalent of the satanic panic about technology, which, mm. God, if we can't get mm-hmm. past that now in science fiction, good heavens. Uh-huh. Right, because like we can have critical takes on it, but they have to be robust, and you have to yeah. you have to be you have to accept that we're also engaging in the thing, and the thing has vast positive elements. And mm-hmm. I'm friends with Tracy because of the internet. Tra- like Tra- the Tra- internet, the, oh. like there are, and I have been stalked because of the internet. That doesn't mean the internet is bad. That person right. is bad. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But the capacity to connect over the internet is not it can, if you're going to reduce it down to it's purely positive or it's purely negative, mm-hmm. I, I find those exhausted. Those are empty calories of thought. And I don't Absolutely. go to science fiction for empty calories. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have Oreos for that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which um, no doubt pale in comparison to Nemesis's oatmeal white chocolate chip craisin cookies. Nemesis. Oh, yeah, natural. You, you are Nemesis. not wrong. Yeah. Ne- nem- nem- nemes- nemes- is that the correct possessive of nemesis? I, I turn to you for this. I, you're, you're, you're the English teacher. I, I am barred from teaching an English class anymore. That's what I've been told. Oh, oh, good heavens. Oh, oh, yeah. Did oh, you, yeah. Did because, you so, into French in mid-class or what happened? No, well, no, because I approach, this is part of, it goes back to my comment about English lit, but um, I, like, I, I enjoy discussing like, like we've been doing here, I, I enjoy discussing fiction, discussing you know stories and what's effective and what's not and what end. But but the very stereotypical, um, like dissection of, especially literature that, that we do in English classrooms, where it's like you know let's figure out what the theme is, and let's look at this as a symbol, and why are the curtains blue? Um, <laughs> I despise with a fiery passion. Um, uh-huh. and, and so when I when I first got to the school that I'm at now, where I got my my permanent position. Um, I was handed a, a grade 10 English class. And of course they were doing Lord of the Flies because that's the only book you do in grade 10 English. And um, all the other teachers in the department um, were all, uh, they were all talking about like, um, I can't remember now, but they were talking about, you know, the symbolism, the flowery language and, and all this stuff. And so, and I, I said, well, I'm not going to do that. Um, I want to talk about character arc. And so I, I want to unpack mm-hmm. that. Um, and reverse character arc and all, and so I did a totally different thing, and and um, um, and so I haven't had English class since, except for my creative writing class, because I'm the black sheep of the department. Um, but my nemesis specifically says that I'm never allowed to talk to her English class again. Um, Whoa! Oh! Oh yeah! Because and, and I, she, if she was in earshot, she would just be nodding her head. Um, because she, she teaches a grade eleven English course uh, every year, and. Um, there was one day, I forget what it was I was doing. I, I, oh, I went in to plug my creative writing class. Um, and I said, here, can you go watch my kids for a second? I'll come in and talk to yours. So she's not in the room. And I start saying to these kids, oh, you know, like, you, know, you can take creative writing. And, you know, I know, you, you know you're kind of tired of English class. But uh, oh, my no. creative writing course, yeah, you can see where this is going. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. My creative writing class, like, this is, the, this is the course where, you know, we don't talk about theme or symbolism or any of that bullshit. We talk about fun stuff. Um, and, uh, and they were like, oh, great. Okay. So I got a bunch of students who were interested. And, and so I leave 
my nemesis's lesson that day was on symbolism. <laughs> yeah. So, no. so she goes oh, in. Oh, you just dropped trowel all over her lesson plan. I really did. Yeah. So did. Um, and I'm, I, I'm proud of it to this day. Um, kind of rebel so, education. That's what I do. Um, so she comes in and, and she starts teaching and, and like within minutes, the students are like, well, Mr. Curly says symbolism doesn't matter. <laughs> Oh, and so all I get is this text for being like, never, never again, never again are you allowed to talk to my kids. Um, They're just getting to do like so the Klingon rejection thing and then thump the yeah, arm yeah, yeah. the chest and spin about. That's it. So, yeah, so basically I'm a That's monster. Amazing. Yeah, one, of the, one of the little known secrets of, of my workplace is I'm the only member of our English department who does not actually have a degree in literature. Um, my degree oh, is- You've told me that. Yeah, my degree is in rhetoric and writing, um, and yeah. and so my approach to teaching English sounds a lot like yours. But the difference mm. is, like, they really need the number of English teachers they have, and so they're stuck with me. Um, nice. And so, yeah, um, they they keep you know, mostly I think the rest of the department sort of uh, tolerates me being who I am, um, and that's very kind of them. That. So that's that's nice. That's yeah. nice. no, it's important. Yeah, but I, but to me, like. Like I, I find your like the stereotypical. I'm gonna I keep referring to stereotypical English teaching. I don't know if that's the right term for it, but like definitely the typical English teaching, at least the way we do it in Ontario. I find it so stuffy and so full of itself, and honestly not very fun. And so why would I want to do that? Like I'd rather kind of like mm-hmm. almost similar to what we're talking about with inversion with with um, fiction. Um, I would rather flip it on its head, um, and to me that's going to get them to think about it in in a really unique way, as opposed to just you know, the, the constant, very banal rhetoric that they get through four years of English. And then when I ask them in grade 12, have you read anybody who isn't Rick Riordan, JK Rowling or, or Stephen King? And they give me a blank stare. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck, okay, here's, here's your new reading list. And I give them, you know, the two of you and I give them, you know, uh, all sorts of people that are like, well, this is who you need to read. Um, and I'm the only person who's doing that. So really I consider myself the hero of the story. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it, it is it is bizarre to me that they would not want to teach something like a character arc. Nobody does. What? Not a single person. It's it's a fundamental part of most storytelling. I mean, I, I, if you are just a fan of literary fiction that has no character arcs, then I guess yes, that's a problem. But <laughs> right? but like at least in the U.S. education system, I mean, we, we teach Lord of the Flies and Huckleberry Finn and Catcher yeah. in the Rye, all of which have very obvious character arcs. Obviously, uh, yeah, but we do tend to repackage those character arcs, though. Like in Lord of the mm-hmm. Flies, instead of talking about it explicitly as character arc, they'll be like the devolution of people outside of society, and they turn it into a theme instead. Ah, mm. see, that's the thing. Yeah, it's it's let's unpack the theme, and and the thing that, that we always get here is, um, you know, let's let's you know what was the author trying to do? Well, I don't know. We can't ask him. He's dead. Like, <laughs> so therefore, you don't know, asshole. Like, <laughs> um, and like, yeah, like this this repackaging of theme drives me nuts. Sorry, I don't like theme. That's no. that's my hard. You don't like the okay. Like so, no theme. There's no theme song on this show. No theme. No, ah, uh, there is. Well, there actually is a theme song. Oh. <laughs> Does the intro uh, music count as a theme song? It's by definition a theme song. What else would it be? Well, I mean, the and real you've now offended our theme song. If you could envision the heroic montage being played mm. in the background to it, so if it's is it is it the equivalent of your and Evan's walk up music? 
Like if it's like, let's go wrestling. We're gonna bring this thing full circle. You just watch. Oh, like a ring entrance. Okay, all right. Wow. Music, then it's a theme. Like, yeah. Tracy was already one of my favorite guests ever for using the word transmogrify, but that that (laughs) move there, bringing us back to pro wrestling. I mean, wow. Thank you. Wow. (laughs) Give her the belt. Give her the belt. She's the champ now. Degree in literature. Yeah. Yep. That's it. Students, that's called circle story. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it is sort of funny, but like I, I, thinking back to what you were saying, John, about like what it seems strange to not teach students about a character arc and to focus on, on, you know, repackaging another language and things. The, the litmus test that I have used for what am I going to have my students read? What am I going to try and teach them? What am I going to focus on? Um, the fact that I teach in a math and science academy explicitly, I am not a marquee department. Um, I, I have the mm. benefit of the fact that in order to graduate by state standards, they have to get through me. Like they have to have right. a path grade in an English class for every single semester of their high school education or no diploma for you. Um, and so I'm, I am, and I, I teach in the only department where that's the case history, uh, social sciences, world languages, things like that. They, they all don't need to take them every single semester, but they do for English. So we're sort of like the last redoubt right. of the humanities. Um, okay, that's some of the, here, can I ask you one clarification yeah, yeah. on that? By all means. So, because in, like in our system in Ontario, the same thing, like they have to take English all through high school. Um, the la- the, they take a, a grade nine geography course and then they take a, a grade 10, which I, I forget what that equates to in American, but... Um, uh, t- we, we call it sophomore year also great sophomore year. Yes. We just okay so sophomore year okay yeah so so sophomore year um they have to take a, a canadian history course for a semester and then that's it so at any do they have to take is there a required history or humanities course at any point uh yeah it'll vary a little bit by okay. state standards um from one okay. place to another my particular school they have to have uh they have to have two and a half uh, what we call okay. two and a half credits. And that, because we're a three-year school, that means that of their six semesters, they have to take history for five. Oh, okay. Perfect. Then you're yeah. actually- and so for me, they have, to do six sem- they have to do six semesters of English to get by. But what, what I'm oh. driving at here is because I know I'm not a marquee department, the, mm-hmm. the filter for me has been for a very long time, what are my students going to need to know in 20 years, 30 mm. years? What is that I want them to remember? And that's the point where I decide things like, you know what, this over here, not so much important. This set of skills, however, I definitely want them to know. You know, these things to have read, these conversations to have had, these writing experiences, whatever. Um, And so for me, it becomes enormously clarifying to think about it, not just in terms of like, I like this or think this is important. Because let's face it, I'm teaching at a friggin' math and science academy. Like one tenth of one percent of my students have probably ever gone on to be English majors, let alone actually work in that field. Mm-hmm. So I, I am something they need to get through where I need to Im- somehow also simultaneously improve them. I need to like sneak that in under the door. Like, yeah, 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 you got to take this class. I'm going to make it worth it for you somehow because I'm going to give yeah. you this thing that you're going to need decades from now that you don't know that you need mm-hmm. um, absolutely so yeah, yeah that's my attitude towards my my canadian history course because that's the same thing like they have to take my my canadian history course and but i say to them kind of from day one i don't expect you to leave this course understanding any specific facts by canadian history i want you to leave with the ability to 
critically analyze whatever information you're receiving, whatever you're reading about either the past or the present. Like when you're reading the news, I want you to be able to unpack that. That's what I'm teaching you. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we'll do it through like simulations and fun stuff and, and bad humor and whatever, but like you have to do it with that. But what I find with, and, and, and I teach at a very STEM heavy school too. Mm. Um, the, what I find with a lot of our English teaching, it isn't just at my school, it's across Ottawa. Uh, like at various schools that I've taught at, um, the emphasis isn't on like it is. It, it isn't always on what skills do we need to teach. Sometimes it's no, we need to take teach like a Shakespearean play because everybody needs to read Shakespeare. And it's like, well, I don't. I think you're missing the point a little bit there, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> full respect to the bard, but most successful plagiarist, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, kind of come down to it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. We got a bit of a teaching rant there. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit yeah, of a tear. Yeah, a little bit. Apparently, have a cat who's like burrowing into the. I'm, I'm recording currently in in my basement because it is the only oh. safe space that I can go to be away from various loud creatures. Some with four legs, some with two. Um, which <laughs> is very Orwellian when I frame it that way. Like I'm feeling like a very animal Animal Farm kind of moment. Um, and one of said four legged creatures, Hobbs the cat has decided to mm. take residence on my lap. And because it's the basement and because it's very cold, I'm happy that this is audio only because I look like, a, like I, I'm just sort of like a, you remember the trash heap from Fraggle Rock? I'm that, <laughs> except blankets. Yes. <laughs> and nice. uh, and he nice. just sort of burrowed into several layers worth of blankets and he keeps sort of like moving and stabbing me in places. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, that, that's the point of the podcast right now. Randomly yeah, stabbed my cats. Speaking of stabbing, I will because the Stabby Awards have come up a couple of times. Yeah. I will freely admit that I've had no understanding or recognition of what the Stabby Awards are or where they're actually <laughs> until like down. a week ago. Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> like uh, the Reddit. Right? Oh, they're they're a thing that I've lost twice now. Uh, <laughs> I, believe, I believe that's the uh, clinical definition of we the Stabby Awards. Wikipedia. Yeah, I'll say that. I mean, I yeah, no. Uh, there's there's a community on Reddit called, uh, or, or I guess Reddit is broken up into many subs, and some of them are incredibly toxic, and I avoid right. those. Um, but uh, there's one sub that is dedicated to fantasy. That's literally r slash fantasy, uh, right. and I've I've been a member of that for like a decade. Um, hmm. I kind of went in there with a a mission to try to make uh, readers a little bit more open minded and. It's been a wonderful transformation over the last 10 years, and it has not been me principally. I've just tried to contribute how I could. Wait, but, but there has um, been that transmission? Or, uh, it's been an amazing transformation. Really? Yeah. Um, I, I, like seven years ago, or like five years ago, uh, people would be resistant. Uh, there would be multiple threads that would be resistant even to the idea of reading N.K. Jemison. Really? Um, um, I, there, was, there was a lot of, lot of latent unspoken racism, a lot of latent unspoken heteronormative normativity a lot of male gaze um mm -hmm. and a lot of belligerence to it ever even being talked about yeah wow uh, now uh, now it's not just that like there are rules in place it's not just that like for for behavior there's not just that there's a code of conduct it's not just that the moderators are diverse and are active uh, it's that the community on there which is quite large um thinks differently has had yeah. their eyes open there um, definitely and a I, I, where it was ahead, like please. how dare you say that i am close-minded and and male gazy i read Piers anthony um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 
Mark Lawrence writes about women some of the time. Uh, uh, yeah, that's true. Um, so they came up with their own awards that I am I am fond of because it has the best trophy. You remember those those ridiculous arguments over like, well, how can we have a World Fantasy Award if the if it isn't a bust of H.P. Lovecraft? How can oh, we God. celebrate fantasy writers unless we give them a literal face of a bad person? Uh, the stabby awards were like you know how giving people a sword Uh, their their trophy is just a literal sword with your name on it yeah um and it was it was a glorious thing to be nominated for my students (laughs) i'm sure voted on moss because they probably have wanted nothing more for like 17 years now but to but to have a knife with my name on it um And so it's it's a community award that is like grown, I guess, grown in prominence because really there's just like a lot of reader investment in that sub. Mm-hmm. Um, but also like, what author wins a sword and doesn't, or like a dagger and doesn't want to like pose with it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know how to hold a rocket. I definitely <laughs> know how to hold a sword with my name on it. I, I have been told by people who um, have have been nominees for the Hugos before and who have won Hugos before that in the Hugo award acceptance ceremony rehearsal, mm-hmm. one of the things that they do is actually put you, put you through your paces and here is how you hold the rocket. Here is how you hold the rocket. Do not stroke the rocket. Do not hold the rocket here. Do not like, like there's lots of like carefully monitoring people's behavior. So there's not inadvertent rocket fondling, um, yeah, which by the way, that's the name of a garage band right there. Inadvertent rocket nice. fondling. Um, we're not a teacher yeah. and it's I mean th- that practice is not a bad idea because honestly if I ever did win a stabby the next year I would be nominated for best related work for being the first person to put his eye out with his own trophy <laughs> right. Right. look at his commitment to his craft this is very personalized now Yeah. no kidding I feel like they need that for the, the Aurora award which is the, the Canadian SNF award because the previous one w- was metallic and jagged and it looked like like five or, or three um it was like uh, the tetanus award kind of, yeah they tried to upgrade it and now it's, it's crystalline and still very jagged and pokey um mm. and so I've, I, like i've got friends of mine who have them and i'm like oh don't ever trip and fall and land on that thing oh my god why is it positioned there keep it as far away from any slippery <laughs> surfaces as possible like it is awful I don't want to get um, lost in the weed, feel- English teacher symbolism here, but do you think there's any possibility that there's a certain degree of, of yes, 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 we're Canadian, we're supposed to be the really nice ones. Here's a fucking stabby looking award. Trust. Oh no, it's, it's an edge on. from Canada. It's it is its own theft <laughs> protect, protection voice. It's aggressive commentary on 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 its national rep. Oh no, 100. I we had um, uh, we recorded an episode a few days ago with a couple of actors from the states, uh, Marcus Choi and, and Derek Williams, and and they were talking about when they they've come on tour because uh, they do uh, Broadway and, and touring cast stuff, and so when they come on tour to, to Toronto or Montreal, and they were saying how lovely Canadians are and how lovely the country is, and they, oh, you guys are great, whatever. And I didn't have the heart to tell them that like we have all the same crap that you folks have in the states. We just bury it down deep and let it simmer. And don't yeah. tell them. <laughs> Warm and long, cold winters. All That's those, exactly all it. All those grudges and all of that anger. But they were just so excited and 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 so like like just talking us up, and I didn't have the heart to say anything. If I could redesign one award, yeah, I've always thought the Shirley Jackson Awards trophy should be a lottery ticket. 
Oh. <laughs> and then at the end of the ceremony, they check your number. Oh, oh, I love oh. it. That's amazing. Have you I seen a Stoker it. Award though in the flesh? Those are well in the, in the, not the flesh. I've never no, I've never been within five feet of a Stoker Award. Oh my yeah, god, Stoker yeah, Awards! Yeah. They're, they're they're a haunted house, and, yes! and there's, a, there's a tiny door, what? and you open the door, and that's where the panel with the plaque is. What? Yes. Yes. It's like it it, it it's okay, that's pretty so bad. like you have it out on a table and you're like, why do you have your Halloween decorations out? It's not. It's like, <laughs> and, then, and then you like creep up on it and you go like, wait a minute, this is a little bit too high end for that, and it weighs like four thousand pounds, and you could like wow. stop someone from breaking and entering if you were armed with it, and or or you know with your stabby award, um, right. you, you open the door and there it is, and you're like, oh my god. This is like the coolest thing. <laughs> you have to like open the haunted house to see the, the thing. John, that award is made for you. I need like, wouldn't it be amazing if I won it and then they just put a little mailbox with 133 poison wood? Oh my god! <laughs> like right on the award. Uh, oh, Stoker's. It will never happen, but I would love that. Oh, well, what, I, they could be listening. They're probably not, but they could be. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I know somebody who reads for the Stokers, so I'll just like. Hey! Like, yeah, hey! Like nudge something their way. A little something. Do fun. you like horror that makes you feel good? And they're like, <laughs> it's like, no. Shh, shh, shh. Just listen. <laughs> uh, I really. To like, be fair, uh, the Stoker, the Stoker's actually one of so Stoker and Shirley Jackson actually are ballots that every year I'm really excited to read uh, because they always have enough. Well, it turns out the spirits just wanted to be friends, but the proton packs had a full charge, so you can imagine what happened. Regardless, we had a wonderful time talking with our fellow survivors today, so thank you to Tracy and John for joining us here in our underground safe haven. We'd also like to thank local musician Chris Kesner for providing our intro and outro music, and our sound editor June Park for bringing this episode to completion. But especially thanks to all you survivors out there for joining us for our conversation today. Stay safe consider talking to the spirits before charging the equipment, and we'll look forward to reaching you again with our next broadcast from the Waste.